1: Talk is about to begin. Hey, hey, hey,
2: come on in. Welcome back to Buckeye Talk. We took a break and it didn't feel right. Doug Murray, Stephen Means, Nathan Baird. It's the Wednesday pod. It's not the big Wednesday pod. It's kind of a moderate-sized Wednesday pod because now there's going to be a big Thursday pod. Yeah, things are changing. But we got information. I tried to be on a jury on uh, what day is it? Tuesday morning. It did not work. Did not get on. I, of course, will tell a forty-five-minute story about that at some point on this podcast. Stevens already heard it; he's just nodding his head like God uh, dug in his jury talk. But we want to talk mostly about the Ohio State Fighting Buckeyes, who are fighting the Ohio State, the Nebraska Fighting Cornhuskers on Saturday at noon in Ohio Stadium. And Ryan Day and Greg Studrawa both talked to reporters today. And so I think we we want this to be a little newsier because we're bringing you some news because again, believe it or not, we're doing five podcasts a week in the middle of a football season, which is insane. I dare, go find another non, we're we're not actually an audio outlet. We are a type with our fingers first outlet. I would challenge you to find another one in the country. Find another beat that's doing five podcasts a week. I dare you. And if you can find it, then contact them and tell them they still suck compared to Buckeye Talk. But congratulations on working hard. So we're doing five a week. We're not doing Tuesdays because we got to breathe at some point. So it's Monday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, and the post game pod on Saturday. Those are now the five podcasts a week. The normal big Wednesday pod will move to Thursday, where we'll have a theme and we'll do stuff. And we got to figure that out for this week. But I want to I want to give Nathan and Stephen a chance to sort of talk about what's on their mind and we'll get to some texture questions. Nathan, like, what's your, what was the thing? I hate the word takeaways. I hate the word narrative and I hate the word takeaways. I don't think the word takeaways is used in human language in any other place other than sports writers saying things they learn from a press conference. So I get it. You're allowed to use whatever phrase you want, but like, what's what was your big thing of like, what was the, the most memorable thing that came up talking to Ryan Day and Greg Studrawa on Tuesday?
1: You know, it, it's, it's interesting because I think, as you and I were talking about on a phone call later, I think next Tuesday's call with Ryan Day could be really interesting because we're going to see so much finally on Saturday and finally have questions to ask him based on what we've actually seen, what has actually happened, which are questions he is more required to answer, for lack of a better term, than what we are doing now, which is kind of like fishing for answers that he may or may not want to give. So I'm still – there are things about the, what this team's going to look like on – saturday that i still don't know that i'm still trying to find out and some of that is something like the health of defensive tackles that he doesn't want to talk about that much some of it is what exactly this offensive line going to look like and there we do i think have a very good picture now of what a first and second string depth chart for this offensive line looks like which even last week when we were talking about the depth chart, i'm not sure we really knew like who were the leading guys at the second tackle spot. And that may seem like a small detail right now, but it's a big detail building towards next year, which is going to be a thing eventually. And we're always kind of talking about not just what's going on in this program right now, but what's going on next. So just hearing things like, you know, Matt Jones and Enoch Vamahi might be those guys that are leading that right now and are going to be in a position to step up when Myers and Davis cycle out of the program next year, or if they need him this year, that's, that's who's leading the charge um, at those positions, just little details like that. I think still have still mean a lot when, when there are still so many things that we are trying to find out about this team.
2: Nicholas petit Frere is somebody we're going to wind up talking about a lot on this Tuesday podcast. Stephen, what was the big thing that jumped out to you?
0: Yeah, that we can put the offensive line in pen, at least the started the starters at this point, he, he hinted at the fact that Nicholas petit Frere had been working with the ones, but today just flat out said he's the starting right tackle. So we know he's along with Harry Miller are the two new guys alongside there, Munford, Josh Myers, and Wyatt Davis. But other than that, it's, like Nathan said, he, a lot of speculation about what we think might happen, whether it's with the running backs and how much they're going to split those carries up. He didn't really want to give that away. Well, he's going to have to give it away on Saturday, and we, then we can really get into it and really talk about it at that point. He didn't, even with the, the secondary, he said he was fine with what, it, what, it, what they have with Seven Banks and Sean Wade because they played so much last year, played a decent amount last year, Sean Wade, basically every snap, possible in the slot while seven banks played as a as a second string guy when guy or when guys didn't play he would start but other the only finite thing we know now is who the starting quarterback is the starting offensive line is and who two of the three starting wide receivers are on offense
2: all right so we'll get into more of that depth chart stuff we're going to go back and forth on this this wednesday podcast i think as we go into the future of sort of what's what we need to talk about from what we heard from people and also what our tech subscribers are asking about. And I hope those will sync up a lot, but sometimes they don't. And if you want to be able to ask questions, we got a lot going on. We, we have a seen an uptick in tech subscribers. I think part of it's because of our online book, nine chapters in. The latest one that we dropped on Tuesday was the Michigan game from last year. It's our online book about the 2019 Ohio state football season. It's only for tech subscribers. It's a great little bonus. I think it's ticking up cuz of that. I think it's ticking up cuz people are ready for some football and they want to get in on the text right now, which is a great time to do it. So we love everybody who's new to the texts, we love everybody who's old to the texts. If you want to be part of it, 14-day free trial, 614-350-3315. And I got this, I would I'm thinking of turning this into a segment called Call Out Doug, which is when I say and and all would you guys like to participate? Would you like, do you have a text you want to send to me? It'd be a nice reversal of
1: how our, our days usually go. Yeah. I, I,
2: I Maybe it could be the whole pod. It's just like, I was <laughs> like, oh, Nathan is, Nathan's like, I got six. And Steve was like, I got 11. It's like, well, we got to let the texters do it too. I got, we got this text from the 330 and it's related to this week. And it was about something I said on the Monday pod when Nathan and I were talking about Nebraska. Doug, I have to push back against something you say all the time. You say you think Scott Frost is a good coach. You are always the person who hates hates on media members for saying things that the evidence contradicts, i.e. your rant about Stetson Bennett. Scott Frost has not recruited at a high level, and he hasn't won football games in his two years at Nebraska. They don't even seem to have a lot of upside or be frisky. He had one great season with Central Florida where he rolled through an easy regular season schedule, won a shootout against Memphis, and beat an Auburn team that looked like they were already on vacation. It was a great season for a program like UCF, but if we are basing the idea that Frost is a good coach at the highest level on that one season, I don't think he actually passes muster. So I responded to that texter, and I said, well, this, and well, that, and well, this, and then I also said, you're right. You're right. I would call that out. So now here we are. And Nebraska is playing Ohio state. Steven is Scott frost. Not a good, like he's not, is he fake good? Is that officially where we are? I mean, I don't want to spend the whole podcast on, is this a big game for Scott frost? Cause my God, if Nebraska beats Ohio state, it's a big game for the whole state. But I just sort of said it. I, I guess I've said it a couple times. I think Scott frost is good. Maybe he's not good.
0: <sighs> he's decent. I think. I think they do have a point though. UCF six and seven in the thirteen and year. that's the only year he's been above five hundred at any school in the two schools that he's been at. I think he's decent. Um, I think this year will kind of show whether he is a good coach. He's obviously not a great coach, but at least a good coach because according to two four-seven sports the talent composite, they have the fourth most talented roster in the Big Ten. So I mean, their record needs to in some way shape or form, at least reflect that. They shouldn't be at the bottom of the Big Ten again like they were last year, even though we, it's a 26-point a um, Ohio State's favorite by coming into Saturday, but that's Ohio State. That's a different situation. They should be in the top five of the Big Ten if he wants to earn that. He's a good coach slogan and not just, okay, he's decent, and maybe every so often he has a good year.
1: What do you think, Nathan? I think you can be a good coach and only win five games sometimes in the Big Ten. That doesn't necessarily mean that you are a bad coach. However, you're not, the, Nebraska isn't treating him like a good coach and isn't paying him like a good coach. And he isn't expected to be a good coach. He's expected to be something better than that. It's kind of the, the adequacy that Steven's referring to is not the expectation in Nebraska, nor should it be. And they aspire to more than that. They, they, they talk about themselves, I think with more than that, but right now they're talking about him, I think is more than that. And I don't, I would agree with the texture that maybe that hasn't been definitively proven yet. I will say also though, not everybody goes 13 and 0 it, UCF either. I mean, that's not an easy thing to do either. I think that demonstrates something.
2: I I, I like Scott Frost pre Nebraska more than I like Scott Frost Nebraska. I thought Scott Scott Frost coming off being the offensive coordinator at Oregon would have been a, was a good candidate for Nebraska then, and then he went to UCF, had the two years, and then came to Nebraska. I just thought he made so much sense for them. I think, but again, he's so much like Harbaugh, and it's a reminder of. There's a lot of Harbaugh discussion right now. Our friend Dave Briggs at Toledo wrote a good column about it. A lot of people are writing about like what this means for Jim Harbaugh. Maybe, well, that'd be something to get into on the Wednesday podcast. Like what, where different big 10 coaches are sort of in their life cycle entering this season. That could be a thing for, for the big Thursday podcast, excuse me. But um, it's a, it's a reminder, you know, Jim Harbaugh is not going five and seven or whatever Scott Frost has done at Nebraska. Right. I mean like that's, and Michigan has more talent, but they're also in the tougher division. I do think last year was disappointing for Nebraska. And I'm, I, I think it makes a lot of sense to maybe expect like they were, a lot was expected last year. They didn't live up to it. Now, not as much as expected. They'll surprise some people. So, could they have like a six and three Big Ten season in them? I, I think that's possible. But I also am thinking they're going to lose by more than 29 to Ohio State.
1: We, I put six out three, six and three for Nebraska with their schedule would actually be yeah. really awesome. good this year. I think right. that'd be, I beautiful. mean, that would. Somebody good, right? That, with, like you said, yeah. their schedule's
2: so
0: tough. At least two, that's, you beat at least two good teams. That
1: six and three schedule is better than the eight and five or whatever Indiana did last year, beating nobody. Yeah, except so Nebraska. I mean, they did go on the road and beat Nebraska.
2: So I mean, that's I mean, is that out there or not? You know, I don't know. I don't know that we're going to see a lot of that this week, but but I wouldn't be surprised. But again, but that's but I shouldn't say. But if I'm not, I can't say I'm. I i would not be surprised because he's a good coach. Because there's not the evidence. There's not, I mean, like I, I, there, there was some before, but like, even though he kind of inherited a tough spot and Nebraska's maybe on a downturn, he, he could have done better at Nebraska than
1: he's done so far. So yeah, you can't say yet that he's a good big 10 coach.
2: That's and that's all that matters. He's not a good Mm -hmm. Nebraska coach. Right. So if you want to call me out, send a text. (laughs) And if I continue to say dumb things, which will probably happen and texters continue to call me on it, which may be will happen, then we'll continue to do this. So I like being called out. Uh, let's do a couple things and dance around here a little bit. This came up. I know it because Nathan texted it. From the 321, DeJuan Jones at guard with his size and athleticism is very intriguing. I have visions of him pulling. What are your thoughts on this? What People are asking about this, Nathan, because it came up today with Ryan Day and Greg Stutrawa. Where are you on the idea of I think we wanted to have a little Dewan Jones discussion here, but especially him at guard.
1: Yeah, and Studrawa was asked about it and he kind of you know jumped through the Zoom call to tell us how awesome DeWan Jones looked as a guard. Now, does he still need to lose weight and get down to a, a weight that's a little bit more manageable that can bring out the the maximum of his potential explosiveness and in the athleticism that he really does have. Yes. I think that does have to happen. It certainly has to happen. If I think if you ever really want to seriously think about putting him at guard, but I thought it was further evidence, a, of just how long, how far he's come in a short amount of time. Whereas going in the last year, he was seen as like just this project who was probably going to redshirt because why would you take this like giant, uh land monster and who's just a true freshman what could he possibly do for this team and I thought you saw he, he stepped up in some special team situations and and even in, in on second string you know offensive line situations and, and proved that he could hang and now it, he's in someone who's in the mix as something you've talked about before which is at some point you, you sometimes just think of it as like who are our x number best offensive linemen and if he's one of them and that means he gets some reps at guard in case you ever absolutely need that to happen, then I I think you look at it. I think it's more just about building some versatility into him and finding a way to eventually use him. I don't know if he'll ever play a real quote unquote real snap of guard at Ohio state ever. I would say there's almost no chance he plays one this year. I think they have enough other options at guard that would play there first, but when you start talking about what he could do as a senior, does just this time help him develop even as a tackle by, by, by helping him learn the learn the game more completely and 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 transform himself physically more completely, I think it makes a lot of sense. Ohio State lists him at six eight three sixty. I I don't know
2: how many six eight guards there are. I wouldn't bet there are many of them. If anybody, if any texter, or any listener wants to find a ro- go through rosters and find guards who are six eight, that's why that surprised me. I mean, the idea of him pulling, he's the guy's got feet. He's a basketball player. He's got feet. He can move a little bit. And you get that kind of size out there. I mean, he's an athlete. He is. And 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 Greg Sudrawa, and again, I, I talked to Greg draw about Dewan Jones at the Fiesta Bowl. Greg Sudrawa like loves talking about Dewan Jones because if it hits, and this is like one of those things I think we talk about this like when ADs hire coaches sometimes. When you get a five-star, if the five-star is great, you don't get a lot of credit for that. It's like, good job recruiting it, but the five-stars are... – if Dewan Jones becomes like a first-team All-Big Ten guy or something or becomes a high draft pick, that's like Greg Studrawa shaped him because he was such a low-rated guy. and it was Or so just long. that you
1: saw something that maybe other people didn't in the first place.
2: You get the credit for that. So I bet I, – I, again, I wasn't on the call because I was being part of our judicial system, failing to be that you described it as like Greg Studrawa jumping through the Zoom because I bet he will continue to be that way with Dewan Jones. And I think a lot of people believe in Dewan Jones, but I also think it's possible that it's like uh, three years from now, I'll be like, uh, Stud, you know, Dewan Jones is a fifth-year senior. He hasn't really played yet. And Stud will be like, oh, he's just the – oh, I can't – and it's like, okay, well, he's been saying it for five years because there's a reason to love him. Also, everybody loves him. I think Dewan Jones is like a lovable guy. I mean, I like he's he seems like a great guy, and he is such a fascinating player. He, if it hits, that's what Stud told me last year. If it hits, he thinks he's a first rounder. Because if you're three, if you're 6'8 and you get that 360 down a little bit, and you got the feet and you have long arms and you're an athlete and you work hard. I mean, yeah, that is a hit. So I'll be curious to see how that goes. We're not gonna do, we're gonna bounce around a little bit. I want to ask Steven this one from the 513. Do you think Marcus Hooker will be or can be better than Jordan Fuller? If he is anything like his brother, and it sounds like he is, he can really make up for mistakes that the young corners might make. I like this question because it's about Marcus Hooker and it's also backwards about Jordan Fuller. And I love reevaluating guys when they're gone. And I think my own personal reevaluation is I think Jordan Fuller's a better player now that he's gone than I did while he was here, which is on me. And I think he's a better player now because he's, he's doing some things in the NFL. So I thought Jordan Fuller was fine, solid. And I think actually he probably was more than that, and I underrated him. But so that factors into me into a question like this. It's like, well, you have to figure out what you thought about Jordan Fuller, and then you have to figure out what you're going to think about Marcus Hooker. Where are you, Steven, on that?
0: I think he is the – I think I think he was the exact same thing as Jordan Fuller, honestly. I th- I think they want that back there. They don't necessarily obviously having a Malik Hooker is great and that helps with your, your defense. But I we, I think we had this conversation earlier. Part of the reason why Jordan Fuller was fine and why they were okay with him being so fine is they had two for, three first-round cornerbacks in front of him. They didn't need necessarily a guy who was going to be able to make a bunch of plays. And the thought process was with Josh Proctor, maybe you need a guy like that who's maybe a little boomer bust but is gonna make you some plays because your cornerbacks might give up a little bit more than they did last year. Well, maybe that's not what they're thinking. They're thinking the corners are going to be sound. So you just need a guy who's just going to be the eraser, the guy who, who's just fine. Doesn't necessarily have to be to wow you with getting picks and making a lot of big hits, but just cleans up things ever so often, often, just in case something does get by. At least that's the way Matt Barnes talked about the safety position when we got him last week. It's they don't, they don't need a big playmaker. So I don't think Marcus Hooker has to be better than Jordan Fuller. I just think he has to be the same thing, basically.
2: I think he'll be roamier. And I think we did talk about that. I think he'll roam a little more and be a more a little more of a player in pass coverage, I think, maybe than Jordan Fuller was. Um I don't know what kind of tackler Marcus Hooker is, what kind of tackler in space, and sometimes that's a uh, uh, running back breaks through the second level. And now he's nine yards down the field and you're one-on-one with the running back. And the question is, this could be an 11 yard gain. Or this could going to be a 60 yard gain and it's on you. And I think Jordan Fuller was pretty good. in those spots. I don't know what Marcus hooker is going to be there. I think he might be a little more impactful with the ball in the air, but I think it's a good point, Steven. I think that, that should be okay. You know, Malik hookers. Great. I would not spend all year waiting for Marcus hooker to be Malik hooker. Cause that's not fair to Marcus. And I also don't think it's realistic, but I also think he might surprise us because I think he's uh, surprised us a little bit already with where we're thinking he's going to factor into this team this year, where when the season ended the year ago, I'm not sure that's where everybody was. Um, Nathan, do we get any more sense from Ryan Day? Was Marcus Hooker brought up at all? Or is uh, are we just still on the assumption that we were on? after the Matt Barnes conversation, just same thing. As we learn about the depth chart bit by bit, we're expecting Marcus Hooker to be out there with the ones on
1: Saturday. My recollection, and Stephen can correct me if I'm wrong, the only time the defensive backs really came up, Day did get a question about the secondary, but just sort of about his general confidence there. And he was talking, as Stephen said before, about sort of the difference between the Wades and the Bankses who have been out there. And then he lumped fuller or, i'm sorry jumped lumped hooker and proctor and marcus williamson in with that group of guys who are going to be doing this more for the first time so there is just still some unknown there and I, I think ohio state wants i look ohio state wants a playmaker back there they would love a playmaker back there but i think that that doesn't trump what they need the most which is what jordan fuller well i think of him sort of the the safety position in this defense is almost like sort of like a, a baseball umpire like the less you the less you recognize them during a game, sometimes the better mm-hmm. off you are. Um, you recognize, Mar- not not that you w- want to get back those interceptions like what Josh Proctor got last year, but when when it's when when Jeff Halfley talked about jo- Jordan Fuller being the eraser, I think they're probably. He probably felt that even more than we did because he breaks down film to like such a minute detail that he sees just those tiny little positioning things that he's talking about as much as a guy coming up making a big hit. So I think it's that that they need the most. It's the range, but it's the discipline. It's just kind of the vision of the field. I think those are the ways that we're that Marcus Hooker makes potentially the big impact this year.
0: Which is why, to that point, Jordan Fuller was among the leaders on Ohio State's team in tackles the last two years. In 2018, it's because, well, he had to make a lot of tackles because they were giving up a lot of big plays. In 2019, it was just because he was kind of everywhere. But to Nathan's point, you don't see it until you look at a box score and she man, he had seven tackles today. Or, man, he's top two in top. You know, and that's probably what Marcus Hooker is going to have to be this year is until you look at the box score, you don't realize that he had a pretty solid day.
1: But he also didn't come off the field, too. Unlike some of the like linebackers, he was a guy who was just out there all the time. And so we'll see if that if that's Hooker's role or if there is more of a mix with him and Proctor.
2: I think it's possible Marcus Hooker ends up like second or third on the defense in total snaps this season, given what you just said, Nathan. If they're going to move so many guys in and out at other spots, you know, I think it'll be like it's like who won't come off the field for this defense? Let's do this now. Bounce around. who won't come off the field i think pete warner is right right i think we would all agree with that sean sean
0: wade,
1: sean wade. probably seven banks
0: uh i don't know whoever I mean,
1: whoever is leading i mean i mean eh, just, that's do we cute, think yeah. they're uh, rotating a corner or not i mean we don't know no, you're think, right that probably so probably think, not so
0: i think marcus williamson might be on that list just because how many do you, i mean what cameron martinez is a true freshman And Ronnie Hickman hasn't really done much because he's coming off an injury. He might be up there just because of
2: Proctor. That's where Proctor factors in, I think. I don't don't think Marcus Williamson's an every down guy. I guess he's a guy who's, whatever he is, a fourth-year guy who hasn't really started to this point. I think Hooker's next, honestly, because we know they're going to rotate that defensive line. So it doesn't apply there. And they're going to rotate, we think, at the other linebacker spots. We think that Tuff Borland's not going to be an every down. I mean, he's not. He's not Baron Browning's not going to be an every down guy. I honestly think Marcus hooker might be third in defensive snaps by the end of this season behind Pete Werner and Sean Wade. And I'm not even sure that that's a particularly interesting opinion. It's just the starting single high safety who will always be on the field is going to do that. Right. Do we do is that where yeah. we are on that? Yeah. So that's how important he is. I mean, it's like, we didn't, if it's him, does anybody dispute that it's him? Or is it possible on Saturday, and we'll talk to more people still, is it possible on Saturday we do all this and then we get out there and Josh Proctor's the starting single high safety?
0: I mean, there's still a short – Just be, I mean, yeah, sure. we can leave it up just because the way we talked about Josh Proctor, the things he can still be able to do out there, there's a slight chance that it'll be him. But the way over the last month that they talked about that safety position, it just matches what Marcus Hooker brings to the table more than Josh Proctor
1: we know Marcus Hooker was working with the ones at times in the off season. That's something that we, we are very sure of. And we know that last week when Greg, uh, when Matt Barnes was asked about them, I almost said Greg Barnes, a buddy of mine back from Indiana uh, when Matt Barnes was asked about them. Um, there's too many Greg's and Matt's around um, that he, w- we, again, we talked about it on this pod. Like he spoke about Marcus Hooker in one way. That was the very definition of what Jordan Fuller was. And he spoke about Josh Proctor in a very different way. So Based on that, I that's who I think I, I'm expecting to, to line up as the ones with the ones as a safety. Could it be Proctor just because of maybe they're trying to send him a message and maybe he, he shows them something in the last week and a half here? I, I guess it's possible, but that's certainly just not the way he was talking about it last week.
2: All right. We have some. I want to get into Nicholas Petit Frere, definitely for sure, in this podcast, but I want to hit a couple other things first. Steven, you were the one of the three of us who was on this call on Monday with Gene Smith and other Ohio State leaders in the athletic department, sort of around game day, what's going to happen? But this particular question is the second question from somebody in the three two, one. They're asking good questions. Your thoughts on the Big Ten provided crowd noise and the decibel level limits. So they said that the Big Ten is going to provide like a murmur. It can be 70 decibels, and then when the home team does something good, it can go up to 90 decibels. How much was that discussed on the call, Stephen? Like, does this? I guess it's better than silence. It's also just kind of funny to think about sometimes, <sighs> like that they're so strict about this. But if you didn't do it, I mean, you know what you're gonna, you know what you're not gonna hear. <coughs> that was that's my Penn State Nittany line. <coughs> <laughs> <coughs> They're not going to hear that in two weeks. It's not allowed, right? That's not a murmur. So that's not as big of a deal at Ohio State. I can't believe Penn State did protest this. What was the decibel discussion like on that Zoom call, Stephen?
0: That you don't want to give anybody too much of an advantage is one of the main points, which is why they're allowing up to 90 when the home teammates get played. Because then everybody's kind of on the same page. No one, is, I guess, has more fans than another place because all the fan limits are different at different places. Like Wisconsin, you can't have any fans. They can't even have family members of the coaches and players there like Ohio State can. So that's part of it is making sure everybody's playing on an equal playing field. But also Gene Smith discussed the idea of maybe – if you go too high, you know, it's a penalty. So if somebody goes to 92 decibels or whatever, I don't know how that stuff works. There's a fine. And now he's going down to that room to have a talk with somebody because they just, you know, cost somebody 15 yards because of that. But that, it's more just because there's different rules for different states on how many people you can have at a public gathering. They just wanted a base level. So that way there's no complaining. There's no please never do that, whatever that cat noise was ever again in your life. But yeah, that's all it was. It's making sure everybody's on an equal playing field. Um, it's like a monkey slash cat. That's the thing.
1: It's like a monkey slashing a cat. That's like it's, yeah. That's like the last sound a cat makes.
0: <laughs> that would be... Or doing karate or something. I don't know. It was they had these
2: like, uh, Disney animal shows. And if they had that, it's like, next on Disney's Animal Kingdom. A monkey murders a cat with a switchblade. I'd watch the crap out of that. I would. I would recommend that.
1: Uh, all right. So you this- basically have that going on in your house on any given night with those two guinea pigs fighting to the death. Yeah.
2: The one guinea pig, I can't. It's it's X rated. I can't. This the size of some of the parts on the guinea pig are astounding. Oh are astounding you would not believe the discussions that take place in this household don't get don't get one i feed all i do is feed guinea pigs carrots it's all i do um so they also wanted a quick overview of my jury duty duty experience and of course i'm going to give that so i went to jury duty this morning I don't know what I'm allowed to talk about. I still might have to do it. I might, I still have to check if they might need me and I might have to go again in November and December, but I didn't get picked this time. So I was, you know, I I listened to some stuff. I wasn't even in the main room because of social distancing. I was in like a secondary room. I knew I wasn't getting picked, Um, but they were going through sort of asking jurors, like, how would you handle yourself on a jury? And the lawyers were asking this and the one lawyer was asking a juror, but it was asking one juror, but to ask all the jurors. One of the things they said was, are you comfortable debating strangers? And I was like, am I comfortable debating strangers? Ooh, I really want to do this now. And then they said, would you be comfortable offering an opinion that other people don't agree with? Would you be comfortable doing that in the jury room? And I was like, oh my God, I am made for this. I really, and then they said, would you be open to changing your mind based on what other people said during the discussion? And I was like, I can't do this. I'm out. <laughs> My view, and I might be disqualifying from myself at the moment. They said, don't talk about it on social media, whatever. But I mean, I don't know if somebody at the courthouse listens to this podcast. I mean, we know what being on a jury is all about. And I'm just being straight with you. My impression of how I would behave on a jury is that I will be trying to persuade everybody else to agree with me. I am not there to have somebody else. We all listen because all I just realized it. listening to this, all being on a jury is, is analyzing. It's all I do. I watch a football game. I analyze it. Someone made a trade. I analyze it. Somebody, some other person said something. I analyze what they said. And now you're telling me that I'm going to watch and hear the exact same thing as another person. And I'm going to come to my conclusion and then I'm going to go in a room and other people are going to be like, no, I came to the other conclusion. Let me tell you why I'm right. And you're wrong. And that's going to work on me. Are you kidding me? I think the only two options with me in a jury room are everybody agrees with me or it's a hung jury.
1: So, yeah, I know hundred percent. It's going to be like yeah. a shoplifting uh, yeah. trial and you're, it's just going to drag on for weeks and months and cost the the county billions of dollars to try this case and they're going to make a movie about it at the end. It's going to be called one angry man as opposed to 12 angry <laughs> men. It's just going to be one angry man about how you just got up on just before the trial even started. You just like got up on the <laughs> table and started yelling at people about how Will they were wrong.
0: Gonna, he's going to be played by Will Ferrell. Yeah, that'd be obnoxious. good.
2: Oh, if this comes, if this turns yeah, into a top of tables if this turns into a script for us, my jury experience turns into a script for me and Steven. I'm, this would be a good outcome of this. Someone um, from, from the 315 said, Doug, next to a lawyer or a lobbyist, you might be the last person a prosecutor or defense attorney picks to be on a jury. Sorry, that dream of yours is never going to be fulfilled. What would be a thing? Do they have like a one person jury? Is that a thing where you just have like a like
1: I just get to if you go to like law school and practice as a lawyer for a long time and get elected to become a judge? Yes, that's a one person jury.
2: I can, you know. do, okay. That, oh, I'll, I'll do that then. That'll be easier than trying to like listen oh, yeah. to other people. I'd rather go to law school and then be a judge than than listen to someone. So I hope I don't get kicked out for saying that. But I, it's not like I, that's not secret information from the jury. That's how I live my life every day. I don't change my mind and I don't listen to people. So although that texter called me out on Scott Frost,
1: maybe I was going to say, covered. like, yeah, you're I mean, you as long as someone texts it to you and pays three ninety nine. Yeah. So that's the way it I would is. I would tell them, like, if everybody wants to sign up for this, if the both attorneys want to sign up for this service and then text me and tell me that I'm wrong about <laughs> their client or the state, whatever they're prosecuting, then maybe I'll listen.
0: That, that's how they persuade Doug when they're in the room. It's like, fine, we'll sign up for the text service. Cool. Let's get out of here.
2: I'll do anything for Cleveland.com. Although this probably would land me in jail. This might land me in jail, just talking about it. I don't know really no no rules, but but at least if that that would be nice to know that someone at the courthouse listens. Um, so I'm off. I, I missed the calls today, but I'm off the hook for at least the next month. All right, we're going to take a quick break on Buckeye Talk and then we're going to come back. We'll get into some NPF. I, I want to do some NPF. We have a couple different good questions about that. Uh, this is our moderately big, moderately sized Wednesday podcast from cleveland.com. All right, back, talking about Nicholas Petit-Frere. We want to get into this. This is an interesting angle from our friend Luke in Denver, addressed at Stephen specifically, because I do think it's interesting because everything affects everything else. Can you have Stephen talk about how NPF's progress or performance might or is impacting Tristan Lee's recruitment? I know that Lee is attending Buckeye Bash uh, and Bucknut says there is some positive momentum there. I would love Stephen's perspective on it if you all have time. All this stuff is connected my guess would be, I mean, I guess it's one of those things. It's like, well, you know, Paris Johnson's gonna be good, but like, do you feel like there are openings here if oh, this guy's a miss mm-hmm. or whatever? Do you think that this is NPF's third year? He's a red shirt sophomore. If he's locking down a job, would that actually have an effect on a highly rated offensive line recruit?
0: Possibly, just because he is a five-star. And I think with five stars, there's a certain trajectory you have with them even on the offensive line. I mean, Nicholas Petit. Fred, whether I've, Greg Zajava said he's right on track for that, but then you can also argue Harry Miller is ahead of him because he went from a guy who was a backup to now a starter, and he'll be a starter the next for however long he's here. Paris Johnson is going to go from a backup to a starter to however long he's here, and it depends on how good does do you think Tristan Lee is as a five star guy? Because I think there are levels there's parents Paris Johnson level where you're thinking this guy might be able to compete to be a starter from day one. And then there's five stars who need a year of development. And if that year of development for Tristan Lee is what Nicholas Petit Frere's fourth year in the program. And then that year, Nicholas Petit Frere shows, Hey, I've had two really good seasons as a starter and I've put myself in the position to be a first or second round draft pick. And he leaves, there's an opening job for you. So it really didn't affect you. You had your year of development as an offensive lineman, and now here's your chance to compete for a job or he could be looking at it as Nicholas Petit for it took a while to get on the field. And maybe in two years, he's not NFL ready. And he has to come back for a fifth year, which throws off your development and your trajectory when you can get on the field. Those are the two ways that as an offensive lineman, Tristan Lee has to look at things. While when you compare it to maybe LSU, maybe he'll be in a position like Paris Johnson, whereas where he can go in there and compete for a job right away.
2: I think he's far enough away three classes ahead of him i, I just wouldn't yeah. be surprised i mean sometimes if like the guy right ahead of you i mean if they had three paris johnsons in this freshman class then maybe right that would affect tristan lee i just mm-hmm. i would be surprised if it has any great effect i mean this is Ohio State has a million things to sell he has a million different great options tristan lee does i don't think it's going to hinge on nicholas Petitfrere. frere nathan i want to ask you this one from the 217 i know you guys have talked about this some but with the talent on the offensive line this year, with the positive news on Tuesday on Nicholas Petit Frere and Thayer Munford, does it really matter who's running the ball for the Buckeyes? Hopefully, come to the playoff, they have a better answer for sure on that. But for Big Ten purposes, this line seems like it's going to maul everyone. You got stud today, Nathan. Is it, were you getting a mauling vibe from stud? And the idea that, like, you know what? Whoever's running it is going to have holes you think that's how this might shake out
1: yeah i mean he and ryan day both spoke um in pretty flowery terms about what this offensive line can do and, and have for uh, you know as a long time especially in ryan day's case i mean i think there, there's been a lot of confidence out there about what this offensive line can do and for, for good reason I mean, you know two potential all-american kind of players the middle one who is an all-american um and, and in Thayer Mumford. i thought that was actually uh, something we learned today that i thought was important which is getting Greg greg's read. On where Thayer Munford is that, you know, last year, I think you wrote about this in the postseason, Doug, um, about just kind of the struggles that he had had all last year and how he was never really quite right and how that was affecting him all season. And Stradrawak the way he talked about today was that it wasn't necessarily that he was hurt all year, but that when he was hurt for months prior to the season, that it cost him so much developmental time. Know, time where he could get stronger, time where it was just something that was then on his mind the whole time too. You come into the year, you're not at the, the level you think you're supposed to be at and then always in the back of your mind, you're like, well, am I healthy? Am I just one tweak away from my back being gone? And um, and He did have a game where he couldn't play um, or he didn't play much um, at one point in the season. I think it was the Northwestern game that he was out and it caused some other they had to move some other guys around on the offensive line right so and, I, and nicholas
2: petite frere was not the sub at tackle yeah. which is right it was josh
1: lobby right Pressed so out. right so um it sounds like that you're getting they're going to have a thayer munford coming into this season who is in a better place both mentally and physically and that it's not like that was like a weak spot on this line but it just further evidence that that this line can accomplish a lot, and you've only got to get him through an eight-game season. I know, or an eight-game regular season. You've got it's going to be back to back to back games, but now he's had extra time to get ready for this season. You've had extra time to get Harry Miller prepared and Nicholas Deep Frere prepared from just a fundamental standpoint and the things they have to do. And I think there's a lot of reasons to have optimism in this line. I guess to going back to the, orig- the kind of the, the base of the original question, Stephen said something last week when we were talking about the. Um, I think when we were doing the retalkables about how. You know, this team probably doesn't have an Ezekiel Elliott, doesn't even have a J.K. Dobbins. So the offensive line is going to have to go out and create some of that and kind of be the, the, that big piece of the running game that you might usually look to the running back to be. It's going to maybe come backwards this time. It's going to be the offensive line going out there and just make being such a presence that it kind of pulls along off backs that are talented. Not maybe not like all American level backs, but backs that have some talent and can maybe kind of push them up to another level. I'm looking for it now. We're back to the old days of like Doug kind of kind of pulling out of his butt
2: a little bit on the podcast because I didn't line up all the questions. But we had talked on a previous podcast about um, Master Teague and Trey Sermon. And Master Teague is like a very spiritual person. And could we come up with kind of like a, a I saw that text a nickname for this running back and we kind of dance this running back duo and we kind of danced all around it and then this texter who now I, I cannot find the text just I know what it
0: is that just awesome
2: brought it and was like and it was like it was right there the whole time and we never quite got there and their suggestion and i'll give them credit in a second but their question their suggestion was master and pastor because he's Trey Sermon. Right. So he's right. like the pastor delivering a sermon. And also it fits with Master Teague. And actually, Nathan, you're working on a story on Master Teague right now that we should be out to our readers at Cleveland.com in the next couple of weeks. What do you guys think of Master and Pastor as the backfield?
1: I think that's pretty great. I talked to Master Teague's actual youth pastor tonight for about half an hour and just kind of got some insight on what he was like as a younger guy and um, just sort of how... how you know his faith and his family and how they have like kind of combined to make him the kind of guy he is and then obviously the core, you know that leads into how he handled these past several months from when he went to having the the you know a blown out Achilles and yet is coming back to maybe be in the a, a big part of this offense to start the year so um a really interesting guy and i think that that I, I i like that master and pastor i need we need to like get that out there though so people credit us for coming up with it
2: can you ask the pastor yeah. Can you ask master's pastor if master and pastor is, like, sacrilegious? or 100% sacrilegious. Is, is master's pastor okay with master and pastor?
0: No, it's 100% sacrilegious. <laughs> Especially if we start to like, – if you put it on a t-shirt, that's 100% sacrilegious. Because so then we'll go, they're here to carry the word of Ryan Day oh. <laughs> through, the, <laughs> through the Big Ten schedule and into the college football playoff.
2: And, like, every time they score a touchdown, we'll say hallelujah. Like, well, really – lean into this. Stephen is worried that we are, we are sending Stephen to hell with this podcast. I apologize. Okay. So like, again, some good NPF. I got to find Stephen, you don't have the master and pastor text up in front of you. Do you?
0: I I don't, I just happen to see it, but I want to, I think I can find it.
2: I I can't can't find it. I got to give the person credit. Um, The other one is, oh, that's why we have unread messages and all messages. See, this is like old time Buckeye talk. I hate it. When, oh, when Nathan got here and it was like, Nathan was like, you read the questions for the first time live <laughs> yeah. on the podcast. And I was like, Oh, you want me to prep? Oh, you want me to do prep? Mr. Guy who's done up?" And now like we do prep. And so like, now we're more professional, but I didn't okay. prep today because I was serving my country. I found it. It was from the three, two, one, from the three, yeah. two, one, the master and the pastor loved it. Loved it. Okay. Another one. That we got that I thought was really interesting was about the idea of because I had texted and when I, Nathan, you had texted about the, the idea of Greg draw was saying, like, no, NPF's not behind. This is third year. He's going to start. He didn't win the starting job a year ago. And, and I texted and said, you know, I think he was the number seven recruit in the country. It's okay to think that he might have won a job last year. Jackson Carmen was like the number 17 recruit in the country in the same class that he was Clemson's starting left tackle last year. He won a job and now he's year two. He's like the only returning starter on this Clemson offensive line. And like NPF who was ranked a little higher. And I know it doesn't make sense. Seven, 17, whatever, but they're, you know, Ohio state thought they were going to get Jackson Carmen. They didn't, they got Nicholas Petit Frere. Carmen won a job in year two Petit Frere Didn't, I don't think it's, I wouldn't say he's behind, but I think it's okay to be like, ah, I thought he might've won a job last year. But then I said, well, now if this works out, he's redshirt sophomore. You might get two or three really good years of starting out of him. And I'm imagining a world maybe, my gosh, he comes back as a fifth-year senior. And from the three-one-two, we got a text from – it was Joe in Chicago who said, the odds that NPF has a really solid season and then is gone. I'm close to 75% that he leaves. Maybe it's just shades of Michael Jordan leaving early. Anyway, these are kids being told from the time that they're 10 that they're going to the league. Almost all of them bolt at the first opportunity. Nathan, we've talked about this a lot with like the Marshawn Lattimore, Malik Hooker kind of stuff, right? The one-year starter who goes. We don't know. But when we were talking about who were the candidates for this year, Seven Banks, Josh Proctor, guys like that, I don't know that any of us said Nicholas Frere as a candidate for that. Who knows what kind of year he's going to have. Can you envision this at all, that NPF would be awesome and be gone?
1: I think we're dealing with someone who has that baseline of talent. You can't excuse it. However, yes, they're told from a young age that they're going to the league, but the league has to want you. And one of the things that we're hearing right now from Greg Studrawer and from Ryan Day is their praise of Nicholas Petit Frere not just saying he's playing the position well but saying a lot of other things about him talking about his intangibles talking about his his work ethic and the commitment that he put in and 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 the work that he did in the offseason I don't you guys were here last year before I was but I don't know that they were really talking about him quite in the same way a year ago and I think that says something so I think it because you're talking about a lot of times very sometimes very small differentiations between prospects so if there's a guy that the nfl teams think has bought in and is going to be coachable and will really dedicate himself next to a and in comparing him to a guy who's just trying to get by on the talent alone and thinks it's owed him i'm not trying to say that that uh, that nicholas peter wasn't was trying to just coast through before but i am saying that if he's proving that kind of dedication i think that can have as much to do with getting that kind of attention as going out and performing on the field. I think they, they do ask about those background questions and coaches oftentimes are honest and say, Hey, we really think he needs to come back another year because there's still even more for him to grow. What do you think I, about NTF one and done, Steven? I, it'd be I, three and done. But could, one and done I, as a starter, I, I suppose.
0: Yeah, I, I can see it. Um, for one, I, to your, to your question that last year, his problem was he couldn't put on weight. He just struggled to eat which Greg was said today, his mother was making sure that she was force feeding him spaghetti all the time and calling coach Chud and making sure he was putting all the right things in his body. But I think who, Nicholas Petit Frere is Wyatt Davis. Wyatt Davis didn't necessarily have a definitive role until his third year in the program. Obviously he started in the big 10 championship game in the Rose bowl, but that's because somebody, the Knox got hurt. And so they needed him to step in before that. He didn't have a role here. And then all of a sudden he's a starter in 2019 and he's, now he's a preseason All-American, and it was a question of whether or not he was going to go pro or not, and then he decided to come back and then opted out again because of everything else I was going on. But he had an opportunity to leave after his third year in the program as a one-year starter, and that's how we could be talking about Nicholas petit Frere, a guy who was a five-star guy, the top guy at his position, just like Wyatt Davis was, who his first two years here couldn't really carve out a role for himself. But in year three, he finally got on the field, and he blossomed.
2: From the 614 did mention didn't NPF come in undersized. How has his size evolved to what they want out of an offensive line starter? They'll, they list him at 310 right now and again a year ago and everybody thought, "Hey, this guy might be in line to win the job." I said I always make fun of the fact. Reporters love to talk to athletes about what they eat because it's like the only thing that binds us together. We can't do anything that the athletes do, but we eat. They eat just like us. So, we're fascinated by it. I, I have the picture in my head of like Nicholas Petit Frere sitting at the table back when we could interview people in person and all of us just surrounding him being like, how many milkshakes do you drink? It was like the opposite of Justin Fields going vegan, Justin Fields going (laughs) vegan. We were all like, you eat vegetables. And Nicholas Petit Frere was like, I eat 400 French fries a day. And we were like, you're so lucky. How much did that come up today? I think, Stephen, you're right. That was like he was trying to win a job last year while he was growing. So then mm-hmm. he had a whole year of getting to put the weight on. How much did that come up? Was that a big point of like that? Is that part of why he's won this job? Because now he's not fighting to put it on like it's on?
0: Yes, that said, He said his mother was, like I said, force feeding him food. They're eating a lot of pasta, a lot of five, got whatever, just eating a lot of food. It was almost – and so now he's in a position where he's physically able to go out and win the job. Where yeah, Last year, when you're trying to grow and you're not able to keep up the weight and stay above 300 pounds the way offensive linemen need to be, it's kind of hard to beat out somebody for a job because you might be getting pushed around. Well, he's probably not getting pushed around this year, so he can go out there and win the job. It's almost like him and Dewan Jones need to just come together in a room, and everything DeWan Jones isn't allowed to eat. Nicholas P. Frere just needs to eat that.
1: Maybe just like some osmosis could happen, yeah. right? Just like some of the pounds from – if they spend enough time together, some pounds from Dewan <laughs> Jones would, would just magically work their way over through the air or whatever. Strajawa did say today he's at 315.
2: Yeah. Okay. And that's fine. Paris Johnson's lifted at 305. And I don't know – I mean, Paris is a great athlete. I'm, he'll get to whatever weight he needs to be. But, but Nicholas Petit-Ferre was like in the twos. I think his weight yeah. started with the two when he got here. So he had a long ways to come. So I think if you're looking for like why did he not win it th- last year, but he won it this year, that might be one of the great answers.
0: According to his two four seven, when he got here, six six, two seventy-two. Two
2: seventy-two. I weigh two seventy-two. I mean, that is not for a guy that big and a tackle like that, that is a lot of weight to gain. I will say I will be surprised if he's won and done as a starter. I think it's harder for a tackle. And I think I think we've talked about the Wyatt Davis, and you're exactly right to bring that up, Steven. It is a direct comparison. And Wyatt Davis did it. But I do think, like, I, I always think about Marshawn Lattimore and Malik Hooker. They were, you know, sometimes you have a chance to pop a little better. Um, Michael Jordan, you know, the texture brought up. Michael Jordan left early. Michael Jordan was a three-year starter. I think about the tackles here. You know, Taylor Decker started on the right side as a sophomore, then started two years on the left side, was a first-round pick. Jamarco Jones waited his turn for two years. Two-year starter at left tackle. You know, a lot of the times when you're a one-year starter, it's like those fifth-year guys who win it as a fifth-year senior. Mm-hmm. I just feel like, I think... Yes, a lot of guys pop and go and you go for the money. It feels like to me, okay, he won the job. My guess would be however good he is this year. I don't think Nicholas Frere is going to be an All-American. If he's an All-American, fine. But I bet you he could help his draft stock by coming back and doing it for a second year would be my guess at that position. Marshawn Lattimore didn't have to show anything again. Marshawn Lattimore went out for one year, locked dudes down. Everybody was like, top 15, and that was it. I think it's just going to be harder for Nicholas petit Frere at tackle to maybe do that. So, And
1: especially at right tackle. I mean, every NFL team needs yeah. two-plus starting cornerbacks. So when Marshawn Lattimore blows up, I mean, they, they, they're desperate for that position. They're not as desperate for right tackle.
2: Uh, let's go with from the five one 4 bucks seems like a lot. We will see.
1: Well said.
0: Thanks.
1: (laughs) Four bucks seems like a lot. We'll see. We'll
0: see. Fuck (laughs) I talk. That is, that is, that actually needs to go on a t shirt.
2: That is full service. Full service. It's like 13 cents a day, 13 cents. I, it's always one of those. It's like, it's like, it's like 0.3 cents a minute or whatever. I mean, it's like, however you want to spin it. It's like, it's like, it's like a nickel an hour or whatever it is. I don't know. I mean, like we can, we can, we can get it down to whatever seems reasonable in your mind, but that's the kind of service that you get for your $4 a month after the free trial. I wanted to talk more about some offensive line recruiting because I do think it's interesting. This was a, this was an offensive line day. We hadn't had a chance to talk to Stud during the, the preseason. This was his day. So this is another offensive line question from the 614. Does the opinion change or improve about Stud and his recruiting if Dewan Jones and Enoch Vamahi hit next year and become staples for two or three years on the offensive line? Those two were late recruits who seemed to be spot fillers who weren't super huge national recruits. If stud can develop these guys into excellent big 10 national offensive linemen, then does that give more confidence in his recruiting because of his development history? I will say, I feel like I give Enoch Vamahi to Ryan day. Ryan day is the guy who got on the plane, flew to Hawaii for a couple hours. And he was a top 150 national guy that came out of nowhere. That was desperate. That was desperate. That was last minute. Ryan day flew over an ocean for less than a day. visit that guy so i don't give that one to stud it was like ryan day had to like go grab that guy because they hadn't gotten anybody else dewan jones is what the thing we said before but i also think some of these other under the radar guys like in last year's class all those like three star guys they brought in but like, where do you think if some of these guys pop steven first of all where do you think the view of stud as a recruiter is right now? And how could it change depending on what happens?
0: I think the view right now, just, I mean, cause I had this conversation with a texter a couple of weeks ago. Why aren't we getting more five-star guys? And some of that probably stems from not only are we not getting five-star guys, but we lost Jackson Carmen from out of our backyard. So yeah, you better go get Paris Johnson, but I think their plan is very simple. Every other year with a five-star at either tackle at or on the interior this year it's Donovan Jackson on the interior as a guard last year was Paris Johnson as a tackle the year before that Harry Miller and then you sprinkle it in with development guys that seems to be their approach to this like Dewan Jones and you've got a bunch of them in 2020 and then Zimichowski just committed for 2021 that seems to be their strategies every other year we'll get a five-star and we'll sprinkle it in with development guys but I mean it's got to work and it's we'll see what Dewan Jones is going to be the first example of whether or not it works or not because you know that, that that's what's left here. You've done that part of bringing those guys in. Now it's got to actually work. And it starts with DeWan Jones.
1: Well, I mean, Thayer Munford and Brandon Bowen are examples of whether it worked or didn't work, too. I mean, those guys who yeah. were more developmental guys, in theory, right? And then, then they, they stepped up and were starters on a pretty good offensive line last year, too. So, I mean, um, I, I don't know. I, I've, I've always considered – I've always thought that maybe some of the criticism on Studrawa's recruiting has been uh, – a little overblown. Although, again, I'm a late comer to it. So I've only seen what's happened here the last couple of years. I know there were some gaps before then, like what you're talking about, where they had to kind of hurry up and, and fill in with with Lamahi and, and Jones, too. So, um, But it, we, as we've also talked about, though, this is the one position more than any other where you have to have both. I mean, there's really no way to do it with just the elite guys. You're going to have to hit on some of the developmental guys at some point. And I don't think you have to hit on all of them though. I think you're right. I think it may just be, even if it's just one of them, sometimes those guys can can push what would be a, a problem on your line up and, and make it a, a pretty strong one.
2: We'll hit two more, I think, and then we'll get out of here. And I, and I like how this is going. We're getting some good information. We hear it. We're going to hear it on Tuesdays. We'll process it, synthesize it, and then get it back out to you guys. So um, I, I think this is good. And we'll do a little bit more of that right after this on Buckeye Talk. All right, winding down from Frank in the 4-4-0, this is doubling back a little bit. I think the most interesting thing on the stud call was Dewan Jones playing some guard when Wyatt Davis announced he was leading. Very interesting when one would have to wonder if he would have the agility to swing around on run blocks. What's your guy's take on Jones being a future guard instead of tackle? So it did seem like right, it was sort of presented as like, oh my God, Wyatt Davis is losing, leaving. I don't know, tried Dewan Jones there. Do you think long-term, Nathan, is he a tackle in the end? Is he going to be a tackle? Or could it actually happen? Because, you know, if, if if it's like, all right, well, you know, Paris Johnson at left tackle next year, Nicholas petit Frere at right tackle, if it doesn't go anywhere, maybe there's not a spot, there will be some interior things. You have Amahi and Matthew Jones. Where do you really think the best chance for Dewan Jones to play is going to be, guard or tackle?
1: Tackle is the best chance for him to play. I, I do think, and I've never been a quarterback, and if I was, I would have been a super short one. But even if you're a 6'3 or 6'4 quarterback, there's only so many 6'8 bodies you can probably put in front of them and still have eh, have it not be a problem for your passing game at some point. It just seems like, though, that the best spot for him from an athletic standpoint would also be tackle. Um, I think he was – the other thing is, you know, Stradra was talking about how impressed he was at the way he handled guard. But some of that may be relative to how you would expect a 6'8", 360-pound person to handle guard. Um, And he didn't say that he was better at it than Matt Jones or Enoch Vamahi or Luke Whipler or Harry Miller, obviously, because Harry Miller's starting. So I I think that we have to remember that, too, that where he might fit in terms of depth or versatility – um, I don't know that that really is a realistic place for him to get a foothold in this program, but I can certainly see, you know, a couple years from now, he, maybe he's starting on the right side and, 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 um, and Paris Johnson starting on the left.
2: All right. Two more. I decided to squeeze one more in. It's another recruiting thing. Cause I, I want to zero in on this from the five, six, one does Ohio state shift the momentum on Tristan Lee with this weekend's Buckeye bash does stud need a big five-star out-of-state recruit to keep the whispers of his inadequacy at bay. I feel he's done well, but when compared to the recruiting rock stars on the staff, I feel like he's had some pretty big misses. So the thing I want to get to Steven there is do they have a shot at him? Do they have a shot at Tristan Lee at this point? I mean, it felt like it was over at some, maybe a couple weeks ago. Do you think they have a shot?
0: Yeah, I I think they do. And I think the recruits think that as well and talking to them, it's a, if we can get him on campus, we can sway them, which I think is what LSU was thinking too. Cause a lot of those crystal balls didn't start coming out until LSU held a similar event mimicking what Oklahoma did with a recruiting summit. And then all of a sudden he, he walked away and he fell in love with some things, which is probably why he didn't commit wide away because he, he wanted to make sure he just wasn't in awe of what just happened. And I think Ohio state commits, they think they can do the same thing with this weekend. He gets here, he gets around everybody. A lot of these guys haven't met each other in person and he gets a chance to meet guys. They all watch the game together at Jack Sawyer's house or wherever they go, and all of a sudden he leaves here and all those crystal balls start favoring Ohio State because he walked away in all once again of everything he just saw in the moment. So, yeah, I, I think LSU still has a lot of momentum, but there's a 15% chance that maybe they can sway all that in their favor just because when kids get around other kids, things can happen.
2: And give a 30-second breakdown again for the people who hear Buckeye Bash and say, what's that? What is it?
0: Yeah. And I'll have a story about this later this week, closer to game day, but it's basically what they did last summer where they, a lot of these kids in the 2020 class had official visits in June. So instead of spreading them all out, they brought them all in the same weekend and they had a barbecue. They brought in former players, current players, recruits, uh, commits, everybody together and from that, they got all these commits. The, the bulk of their defensive commitments last year came within four weeks after that Buckeye bash and barbecue. Well, they couldn't – they were going to do it again this summer, but COVID happened and the recruiting dead period happened, so they couldn't do it. So they had to come up with a better idea. And since the coaches can't have anything to do with it, Jack Soar decided, hey, I live here. Everybody come to my house and let's watch the opening weekend game. So once the schedule came out, he started inviting guys. Travion Henderson has set up a plan. He'll He'll be coming up here literally – I think he's coming Thursday because he doesn't have football this year, this, this fall. But, yeah, all these different guys are coming. It started with just bringing in commits so these guys could all meet each other. But then the next goal was to get JT Tumalao, Emeka Buke, and Tristan Lee on campus. I, Tristan – I think JT Tumalao is coming. Tristan Lee is confirmed to be coming, and we'll see about Emeka.
2: And this was a thing. It was funny. A couple, there was a time – Urban had – this is their thing now. It's Urban Friday had Friday night lights. Friday night lights. Yeah. And Ryan Day has moved away from that. You know who used to have a barbecue? It was Brady Hoke. Brady Hoke was a barbecue guy at Michigan. And then I think it was like Urban's, like Urban's doing Friday Night Lights. And it was like, hey, Brady Hoke's one of those things. I'm sure Ohio State fans at some point made Brady Hoke, made fun of Brady Hoke for having a barbecue. And then it was like, oh, now Ohio State's having a barbecue. It's just a thing. It's what is your thing to get a group of recruits together and to have them all think it's cool. And To have the camaraderie build on it, it you, you you it's a scene, it's not just an individual thing, it's a community. It gives them the you know the the perspective on the campus and the school, but also like here are the guys you might be here with. So every every major school does their version of it, but this is what Ryan Day has settled on.
0: Yeah, what makes it interesting is I think Urban Myers was based on of come down here and see how we're gonna coach you, which is exactly how they got Chase, he got to work with Larry Johnson. Saw everything he needed to saw and said, "Yep, this is where I'm going to come." For Ryan Day, it, those are the, what the one-day camps for. We don't need to have another one of those. You can see that. Then this is just this is more about just being around each other and growing a relationship in the so-called you know brotherhood. That's more what Ryan Day is preaching. While it seemed like Urban Myers was just come see how some of the greatest coaches in the country are going to develop you under the lights, under lights the Friday cool. the lights in Ohio Stadium.
2: I mean, this is more. I mean, honestly, like the bash is like more Trestle-esque. Than it is mm-hmm. urban. And it's like one of those things where, like, Ryan Day is, you know, everybody's their own man, but he's kind of, he's got some a little, definitely has some urban in him, but he's got some trestle in him too. Mm-hmm. Last one we're going to finish with. It's perhaps my favorite question every preseason. Love it. Have discussed it every year. From the 513 wondering who you guys think is the true sixth man for the offensive line? For example, what happens if either tackle gets injured? Does Paris come in only if it's right tackle? Would he go to left tackle as well? Does Dewan Jones actually go in at guard before Jones or Romahi? Nathan, this is a chance for you. You said you got a sense of the whole depth chart. So why don't you give everybody the two deep at all five positions on the offensive line, as you understand it, after talking to Stud today. And then what I like best is when you do have a true sixth man, when you can say, no matter who gets hurt, this is who's coming in the game because we just slide and you that that for that to happen it requires you having a guard or a tackle who can play both like when you have a guy like Brandon Bowen who's played guard and tackle then he gives you the flexibility because you know if the other I I don't know if they have that this year so there might not be one answer to this but Nathan depth chart first and then who do you think's the first guy in?
1: Yeah, and I don't know that they have that this year because I don't know. Like this happened last year in the Big Ten championship game where White Davis got hurt, so they slid Bowen over and and put I can't remember if it was Alibi or uh, Nicholas petit Frere tackle for that game, but um, for just that the rest of that first half. But um, I mean, if, if I'm pick, if I'm putting down a depth chart, I'm going to say Munford and I it's, guess it's probably Paris at left tackle. It's I hard. because Paris was, and that might be part of it. It, it feels like so they have
2: said pretty clearly. Maybe they wanted to get – once it became clear that Petit Frere could handle it, maybe they wanted to get it over with so they get Paris to the left side.
1: Well, yeah. and the other thing is, like, that may – the answer may be that he's actually the backup, the, the true backup at both left tackles, like we've talked about before. No matter what the depth chart says, what is it really? I think it's probably him. I think he is probably the first tackle in. Um, first guard in, I would I would guess it's it's Jones over Vamahi, but that I may be wrong, and it may be dependent on the position. And then center. It sounds like they like Luke Whipler, but I would have to imagine if if something happened with Josh Myers, then that's where um, Harry Miller probably moves over to center, and somebody fills in at that guard spot for Miller.
2: Well, it just depends if they like Whipler better than they like the guards, right? Which they might. Yeah, yeah. but
1: I mean, as a true freshman, I, I don't know. I would I would expect I would expect Jones or Vamahi to be the first guy in there to, to in a Miller bump over.
2: It feels like they they've liked Vamahi for a while, but Jones's name has popped up more recently. That he's back in the picture a little bit. It seems like,
1: and he was another like pretty highly ranked recruit, relatively right. I mean, I you think he was even top one hundred? Like he was a pretty solid recruit. So imagine um, he was top
0: was like number fifty five in the country.
1: So again, offensive tackle. Like sometimes we 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 talk about development of guys, and this can go back to the the Nicholas P. fair conversation. I mean, yeah, it's it's definitely fair to ask when you're the number seven recruit in the country what took so long. But sometimes it just takes longer at those positions for any number of reasons.
2: So again, the back the, the second five, Johnson and Dewan Jones at tackle, Vamahi and Matt Jones at guard, Luke Whippler at center. When we correct. They, yeah. And I would I would imagine I would I think it's very possible we get a series with those guys at some point on Saturday. And that that I, I would guess that they would line up left to right, Johnson, Jones, Whippler, Vamahi, Dewan Jones. That's confusing because they have Matt Jones and Dewan Jones. But that I would guess that Paris would be on the left side and Dewan Jones would be at right tackle even though Paris was fighting at right tackle. But I don't think they have a single sixth. I think I agree with right. you, Nathan, that Paris Johnson is yeah. probably the first tackle in. And then I would guess maybe Vamahi is the first guard in, but it's a guess. I mean, sometimes there's an obvious, obvious guy. I'm not sure there's an obvious guy um, this year, the way things stand, at least at the moment. That's the moderate Wednesday pod. It's not a great name.
1: <laughs> the Schmedium Wednesday pod.
2: Yeah, so we'll work on that. Big Thursday pod, we got to come up with a topic and then we're going to do like the Friday pod is going to be like picks and preview. We'll make our picks. We'll preview the game. We'll get down and dirty, nitty gritty. We'll still take some texter questions. We think that's going to be often that will be a Zoom call on Thursday nights live with texters helping us to preview the game. It might not happen that way this week because my daughter might have a tennis banquet, but that's banquets first, but that's where we're going to get to. And I think we'll probably certainly be there by the Penn state game, uh, a live Thursday zoom with tech subscribers. That is the Friday preview pod. So thanks to you guys for tuning in. Thanks for adjusting to the new schedule. Monday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, the post game pod is going to be awesome. It's going to be great to have a live game to podcast about. And uh, we have a lot going on. So this is Tuesday. Stephen today put up the first of our No Regrets series. The first story was on Chris Olave. And we're talking to these guys about sort of what, what they're thinking as they're back. Some guys who maybe it's like, do you have regrets about last year or not? So obviously, Chris Olave, you know what he regrets. And Steven had talked to Chris. He talked to Chris's dad, he talked to his high school coach. Great story on Chris Olave is up. Nathan, Justin Fields coming Wednesday. Is that the plan?
1: Correct. Yeah. Justin Fields will be up first thing in the morning. I talked to Fields last week, and this is one that because I did so much with his family last year, I focused this one more about the team because we've gotten had plenty of discussions with Ryan Day and Corey Dennis and other players on this team, other coaches, about how Justin Fields has looked different, uh, talked different, felt different since this preseason and coming into this season so focused it more on that but also I think gave us gave some insight into because because Justin Fields has always been a a guy who is a little bit reserved like not not super out there as far as his personality and stuff and then we're starting to see that come around a little bit but this I think gives you an idea just more of how he thinks about not just football but kind of about how how he thinks about life and how that affects football and how he processed last year and what he thinks it means for this year
2: and again Nathan one-on-one with Justin Fields for that story, just like Steven had the one-on-one with Chris Olave for his story. And then Steven next up after Justin Fields, you have Wyatt Davis.
0: Yeah, I do have Wyatt Davis and his story. I mean, he's had the same story at every level. He's gone from a guy who's always looked the part and always looked like that's a really talented guy. We just needed to click. Then once it clicks, You saw what happened in 2019. It was the same thing when he got the same John Bosco, where he was a guy who wasn't really playing a lot. Then all of a sudden, he's a five-star guy, the number one guard in the country. And it was the same thing when he started playing. And he's wrapped it all up together. And he put it all together in a year where he was supposed to win a, a national championship, and he didn't. In high school, he put it all together, and they won a state championship. And that's part of why he's back is he wants to be able to put it all together in a year where some unfinished business and go win a national championship as well.
2: So I think that's the plan for Thursday. And then Nathan, Sean Wade, Friday.
1: Sean Wade, and this will be a story that actually um, centers more on the people around Sean Wade and what they've seen from him from the past year. And that goes from either from all his dad and being there at the Fiesta Bowl and his trainer being there at the Fiesta Bowl, but kind of what he saw from him in the past month since then. And then also uh, even to his girlfriend who was talking to him in the locker room, watching, listening to him kind of yell at the screen during that whole second half when he couldn't be out there on the field and just sort of like what everyone around him saw, how he, again, kind of processed that's such a difficult moment and what that's what's come out of that for him.
2: So I know there are people who listen to this podcast who don't go to our site that much. I, I have podcasts that I listen to that I don't really read the site that's associated with it. I just listen to the podcast. But this might be a good time to go read some of the stories on the site. So we're doing this Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, these four individualized stories on the real stars of this Ohio State team and why they're back and what they're thinking. And this is some unique reporting, Nathan and Steven talking to people in their lives, reporting that you're not going to get other places, Um, some unique interviews with these guys. It's not just all on Zoom calls. So this is really worth your time. They put a lot of work and energy into this. So if you don't typically read cleveland.com slash OSG, these are four stories that I would direct you to on Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday and Friday. And then there's a game. And there's a game on Saturday. So we got an online book. We got a bunch of feature stories. We got a tech subscription. We got five podcasts a week. And what else do you want from us, people? Come on. We're bringing it. Let's go. Football's here. I just want to be on a jury. All right. Steven, Nathan, I'm Doug. And that was Buckeye Talk.